Well, I have a surprise for you. Yay. Yay. Um, but let's actually, let's do our intro first. All right. Hey, this hey. is Chip. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies first. Hi, it's Sydney. And this is Jake. And you're listening to Two for the Matinee. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about French Twist and The War of the Roses. So, as usual, spoiler warning, because these movies are about to get spoiled. Like I was saying, Mm -hmm. I have a surprise for you. I couldn't contain my excitement. So last night, guess what I watched? Last night, what did you watch? This is a movie I love, I assume. Yes. No Country for Old Men? (laughs) No. It's foreign. A foreign movie. Oh, Force Majeure. Yes. So good, right? Yes, it's amazing. I loved, I loved, loved, loved it. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen it because I think I saw it, I don't remember if I saw it either in the theater when it came out or like shortly after on Amazon. But yeah, I liked it a lot, I remember. Mm-hmm. It's on I, Hulu now, so anyone can get it, stream it for free. And have you've seen the trailer for the remake, right? Yes, I actually looked up stuff about the remake and I just didn't understand why why they would do it. I mean, I think it's an interesting story and I don't mind a remake for English or American audiences so they can uh, partake in that story because, you know, the foreign film isn't that famous or some people have an aversion to subtitles. But it seems like with the casting that it's going to be very, like, a lot sillier. it, It appeared to me from what I saw about it that it's a broad comedy. Yeah, but it's sometimes it's hard. Like the when you actually see the movie, sometimes it turns out different than than the trailer, and maybe they're trying to push up the comedy in the trailer. Okay, so I'm gonna reserve tell, my judgment. Do you want to tell people what Force Majeure is about? Yeah, I mean it's a pretty straightforward story. It's about this this family. Um, I think are they Danish? I think they're Swedish. Or Swedish, and they go uh, to a trip. They take a trip to a ski resort in the, is it the Alps? Yes, I think it's the French Alps. The French Alps. And one day they're all sitting on this, you know, like restaurant patio having lunch and an avalanche starts and the dad freaks out. Like, well, everyone's freaking out, but the dad freaks out and just kind of like runs away. Wait, but, the, but, but before he runs away, he grabs, he grabs his, his gloves <laughs> And his cell phone. Like I said, it's been a while. So he grabs his gloves <laughs> and his cell phone and he runs away. And then pretty much the rest of the movie is him and his wife having to like deal with what he did because she feels betrayed. And she, she's like, you left me and the kids and you grabbed your phone and your gloves and yourself and you left. And I think his defense was, it, it, was, a, it was a crazy moment. I wasn't really thinking. Well, but at thinking. first, remember, at, at first, he doesn't even admit that he ran off. Oh, he yeah. says he's I, in he, he's in yeah. denial that he ran off and left them. And when she argues with him and tries to tell him, no, you left us there. You ran off. His defense is I was in ski boots. You can't run in ski boots. <laughs> yeah, it was a subtle comedy now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, really good. And then he, when he's finally confronted because he had his like uh, he was recording on his phone. So when he's finally confronts the fact that he did run away, yeah. he has to deal with, you know, well, maybe that's just the way you react in that situation. <laughs> well, I liked, I think there's that scene with the other couple, the guy's his friend, right? The guy from Game of Thrones? Yes. Um, and it doesn't, 
like when that guy is alone with his wife or girlfriend. Well, he, he kind of tries to defend his friend, but I think when they're alone, he's like, well, I mean, I would never do that to you. Right. This right. <laughs> <laughs> like um, he knows his friend is full of shit, but he's going to keep on letting him think that he, what he did is okay. <laughs> well, but what did you think of the end then? I didn't know what to make of the end. That's two movies where we've got buses on windy roads where I don't know what to make of the ending. <laughs> it's funny because uh, yesterday Courtney asked me as I was starting French Twist because I watched we watched War of the Roses and I watched French Twist by myself. She's like, oh, what's the common theme for these movies? And I'm like, there's no common theme. We just picked them. And I'm like, wait a second. They're both about married couples in distress. <laughs> I know, right? And then I watch Force Majeure and I'm, and I was like, oh, wait, all of these movies tie in together. Right. Um, yeah, I remember when I watched Force Majeure, uh, the end left me a little unsettled. I think what they were trying to show was that the wife was reacting in a similar manner because, I mean, spoiler alert, it ends with they're on this giant coach bus that's trying to make like these very windy turns on this very windy road and it gets stuck. And so... I mean, there's like, there's really nowhere to go. You're basically like falling off the edge or you're navigating these, these turns. And the, I guess the wife freaks out and demands to be left, let off the bus so she could walk with complete disregard for her family, right? Isn't is that how you saw it? I, I don't know. It because seems like she panicked and that's what, that seems did, to be the she consensus did panic. on how people interpret it. And I think that's probably the best explanation of that scene to show that she's doing the same thing he did. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what people seem to think. And, you know, I felt bad for the guy and I felt bad for her because um, I took this philosophy class. I forgot what it was called. I think it was like the philosophy of morality. And we read this one, one philosopher, he's a modern guy. Also don't remember what his name is, but he made the claim like, you know, there's like that saying like, Oh, if you want to see like the, what a person actually is like put him in a stressful situation or an extreme mm -hmm. situation. You see their like true self come out. And his argument was like, that's like, that's completely wrong. That's like opposite of what you do because most of the time, 99% of the time people aren't in extreme situations and that's what they're actually like. If you put someone in an extreme situation, it's going to be completely unlike what they really are because they're yeah, you're like going to get an extreme response. Yeah. So I agree with that. I mean, yeah, it's, and that's one of the reasons I like this movie because you kind of feel bad for the guy, but you also kind of like moralize and you're like, well, he is a jerk. He left his family. So it's like that, that very sort of unsettling gray area. Which I but think he also, do you know, there's like little things that he does that you just kind of question him. Um, he lies a lot. Mm -hmm. There's like little lies though. They're little lies that everyone tells, but like you keep seeing him do these little lies to like his wife and his fam, his kids. And I started not to like him just because of those little lies that he does. They go skiing and then they all come back and they all go to sleep. And then she gets up to go brush her teeth because there's a lot of teeth brushing and urinating in this movie. Lots of like scenes in the bathroom, but I guess mm -hmm. it's just like we're with a family and this is what families do. You know, I, I'm in a family of four, same thing. Bathroom gets crowded. Sometimes people are like brushing their teeth in and out. So I get that. And she goes to brush her teeth and he's promised not to answer his phone and his phone goes off and he answers it. And then she says from the bathroom, are you on your phone? And he's like, no. And he does a couple other things like that. So you kind of also, that's a little insight into the relationship as well. I think that's why, uh, actually, after all these years, I think I understand why I didn't love the ending. It's because I guess they, 
by making the white panic and act in a similar way that I guess they tried to show like, well, she shouldn't throw stones, right? Because she did the same thing. But then there's all this other stuff that he did, which makes him like a shadier character. So it like felt a little off balance almost. So here's another way of looking at that ending. Yeah, I mean, I would be nervous if I was on that bus. They're like in the mountains going down these very steep, winding, winding roads. And she starts panicking. So you could look at it as like she steps up to say something to get off the bus to get her family out of a dangerous situation. But doesn't she just kind of roll like she gets off the bus and she's just like rolling ahead without anyone? He has yeah, to grab that's the kids. true too. He gets the kids. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I'd need to watch it again. Maybe there's more to like his weird behavior than just him being kind of an ass. I yeah. haven't seen in a while. But um, I'm glad but you liked good. it. I yeah. liked it. I it liked stayed it. with me too. And I've recommended it to other people mm-hmm. as well. Especially if you're going to go watch the American one, definitely watch this one. Yeah. And oh, that's the other thing about this one uh, that I think it'll get lost in translation. It's because it's, it's a uh, Swedish family and a ski resort in the French Alps. So there's lots of like moving in and out of languages, you know, English, French, Swe- Swedish or Norwegian. I can't remember which one they're speaking because I think the wife's Norwegian or something. Um, and I think that added to sort of the sophistication of this movie that I think will get lost in translation. Americans tend to like, I don't know, in American movies that deal with Europeans and foreigners in general, they become caricatures. So I have to see this movie. I'm going to have True. to see the, this movie. And actually, I just had another thought, like the, what I was talking about, you know, judging people either in the extreme or like in the day to day. I mean, the fact that he was kind of acting shady in the day-to-day, like, that should have been enough for her to be like, you're an asshole. Like, why did it take this avalanche? If he's just, like, lying to her about silly little things and Mm -hmm. doing weird stuff. Yeah, he seemed weird (laughs) in general. (laughs) I was waiting for, like, the other shoe to drop and find out some secret, but it never happened. They'll find that out when she gets home. Yeah, maybe. This movie kind of reminded me of Shame in, in that it was kind of very subtle in the way that it dealt with the relationships very quiet maybe it was the framing of the scenes i think maybe Maybe. also i mean it also looked beautiful like the Mm -hmm. the hotel they picked and a lot of the shots were very pretty i remember yeah i liked it does the american one take place in like aspen or something no it takes place in the french alps that's why i kind of like uh we'll see how they do with the with the french people and because hopefully they'll use that culture clash to elevate elevated beyond just like silly fish out of water gags we'll see it's called downhill so i'm gonna check i'm gonna check it out when is it supposed to come out it came out on valentine's day i don't know if it's available already for streaming i'm gonna have to see but i would like to um i want to watch it now all right yeah let me know well it has it has a 30 it has a 37 percent on rotten tomatoes (laughs) That does not bode well. No, it doesn't. It's like, did you ever see a movie called Mostly Martha? No. It's this uh, German movie. I don't know if I'd call it a romantic comedy, but it's it's really good. It, I, I love it a lot. I, I think it was nominated for Best Foreign Film back in like 2001 or something. But they remade it with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Aaron Eckhart called No Reservations, I believe. Does that ring a bell? I think I remember that because that was like the chef movie, right? The catering or cooking yeah. Uh huh. Or like he owns a restaurant, or she owns a restaurant. Well, One the, of those. The, the premise of the story is like she's this very 
uh, she's like an excellent chef. In, in the uh, original, she claims she's, I think, either the best or the second best chef in, in Hamburg. And, uh, but she's also kind of like tightly wound and she has this very like curt manner. Like when a customer is like not happy with her food, she'll like show up and like throw it in his face. So the owner's like kind of putting up with it because she's so good, but people don't like her that much. And then her sister is supposed to visit her with her niece and the sister dies in a car crash. So she ends up having to take care of this kid. And so her, she's obviously not built for this. Um, and they were, like I said, I love the original. I rewatched it recently. Um, but I remember the new one or the remake came out. I didn't watch it. My parents watched it. Who <laughs> watched both of them? They and they hated it. And it also got very poor reviews. Which I mean, it's strange because the story I, I thought was pretty simple. It wasn't as um, complicated as Force Majeure. But. I don't know. I wonder if lots of things get lost in translation. And I think that there are ways that you can take a movie, a foreign movie, and translate it into something that speaks to American culture and still stays with the themes of the movie, but they don't do it all the time. What is that movie? It's the people and they're in the house and it's in France and the, the uh, I know you've seen it. And, and then the, the robbers come into the house. Oh, the, uh, the Haneke movie? Yes. Which he remade, him, he remade yeah. it himself in English. I haven't seen either one because the premise did not interest me at all. Okay, yeah. well, I saw the second one. I didn't see the first one. And it was just really slow and boring. But then again, his movies are all slow. You so. know what was a good translation was uh, La Cage of Faux? How do you pronounce that? Oh, yeah, The Birdcage. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think they're both excellent. Yeah. Because they were, yeah, they did a good job there. And then didn't the, the girl with the dragon tattoo get remade as well? Yes, it did. And you know what? The one with Rooney Mara is not bad. Okay. But I've seen the original as well. So they're both entertaining and dark. And they cover their themes well. Yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's, I mean, I don't know anything about adapting uh, foreign films or I've never read any stories about it. But it's an interesting process. There's actually another one. There's a, what was it? I think it was a German Well, film. The Departed, which was, uh, what was it? Internal Affairs in Korea. Uh, Infernal Affairs in Hong Kong, but they did yeah. something a little different because there was three Infernal Affairs movies and they sort of combined them into one. And I've only seen the first Infernal Affairs, which I loved. Um, and I also like The Departed a lot. I like The Departed as well. And I think that's a good movie. I've never seen the originals though. Yeah. Well, I've I've seen the, the first original and I do recommend that. I can't say for the other two. And I'm thinking of The Ring, Ringu. Yeah, see, with The Ring, is interesting because overall, I preferred the Japanese one, but there was, I'm trying to remember, oh, the uh, like the death faces of the Japanese version were just really funny. And I felt that the American <laughs> death faces were scarier. I can't really think of any more off the top of my head right now. I think, I think we've covered quite a few. Okay, okay. Well, moving yeah. on to another movie that actually was a... A foreign movie that was remade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> windy, the roads. <laughs> windy Roads. The Italian Job, <laughs> which I also watched, which you had watched a couple weeks ago. And um, I told you I was going to watch it and we would chit chat yeah. about it. And it from 1969 or 68? I think it's 1969, I believe. Yeah. Wow, that Michael Caine. I just love him. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I love him now in the whatever he's in yeah. um but i just i just think he's so so sexy and he's so suave and he always plays these like little grifter types so well <laughs> i just loved it but yeah so the italian job is the original we we have that remake with mark Wahlberg, but you know um, have you seen the remake my, i haven't i haven't seen it but i think it's uh not a straight remake i think it's just 
um, inspired by. Yeah. They use the Mini Coopers and there's a robbery. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised this movie isn't better known because I feel like it's inspired, like every sort of comic action caper that's come since I can like see the, the connection to this movie, like Ocean's Eleven. I, well, there was the original with Sinatra, which I don't know anything about, but like the new ones with Clooney that Soderbergh made, like, I feel like they're like a di- direct lineage from this movie. Isn't yes, it? I can see that too. It feels just like so ahead of its time and, and like the humor and stuff. Like, I haven't really seen anything like that for movies prior to maybe the 90s. I mean, there's so many different things. Like, the greatest, what is he, like, the greatest mobster in England. He's in prison, but he's such a patriot that he wants to, like, (laughs) steal this money from Italy for, like, national pride. Those are some of my favorite scenes because that, um, God, what was his name? He had such a... It starts with a B, right? Played by... um, Noel Coward. Yeah, and I was trying to remember, I came across Noel Coward in something recently. Oh, no. Well, first of all, he's one of the best sort of British playwrights from the 20s and 30s, known for these very witty bedroom comedies. Have you ever heard of the uh, play or movie called Blythe Spirit? No. Okay, well, you have to watch that because it's fantastic. Um, Basically, it's about this woman who dies and then comes back and haunts her husband as he moves on to his new wife. (laughs) Have we talked about Noel Crawford before? Mm Mm-mm. Then I, see, I remember Googling him, but I don't know in what context. But yes, he's a fantastic playwright, and he's one of the finest wits of the 20th century. So seeing him and playing that role was absolutely... Mr. Bridger. Yeah, Mr. Bridger. Mr. Bridger was fantastic. I enjoyed it so much. That concept alone, I thought was really unique, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Well, you wanted to talk about the ending. Oh, yes, the ending, which was a cliffhanger... Of a cliffhanger. (laughs) A literal cliffhanger. And I actually liked it, but I liked it in the way that someone in 2020 likes a movie where you're used to like post-credit scenes. If something like that happens, for me in my mind, I'm like, ah, sequel setup, you know? Yeah. With that. Well, when they were selling, when Mr. What's his name again? Uh, Bridger. When Mr. Bridger and like all his uh, convict inmate friends in the prison, they're all like celebrating the the successful robbery. They're like toasting and stuff. And I'm just like waiting for something bad to happen because they're going down these windy roads super fast. Yes. Celebrating and singing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The the mom from Force Majeure would be like, let me off of this bus. (laughs) Yeah. They got a bunch of gold bullion on board. Yeah. I I did like the ending too. And the, I don't know, the cynic in me always goes back to like that late 60s 70s sentimentality oh they totally they totally didn't make it (laughs) yeah where you think they're gonna die so yeah there's no happy ending in these movies although i think with the 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 tone of the rest of the movie it's hard to imagine them dying true true and uh michael kane's optimism at the end where he's like wait give me a second to figure this out (laughs) i think i got a plan Well, that's that's sort of his defining characteristics mm-hmm. characteristic throughout because this plan, I mean, it's it's a crazy plan, obviously. Oh, I wanted to ask. Uh, so there's this character named Camp Freddy. And I'm like, what does that name mean? Which one is? Is he one of the drivers? No, no, no. He's the one who's reports to Mister. Oh, Mister Bridger. Bridger's little second second in command guy. Yeah, I felt like that name was some sort of reference to something. Also, this movie has Benny Hill, and I the yeah. only thing I know about Benny Hill is like seeing those commercials on TV for his, his like VHS tapes or something where that involved either him or like large women getting naked. 
Yeah, I didn't like his character. He seemed very sort of he liked borderline he liked serial really killer-ish, like crazy. I don't know. He was just a sexual assaulter of large women. But this movie has influenced our culture in many ways, it turns out. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed uh, it. Yeah. I'm, and, that, I'm, that, and, and that song at the end, that Quincy, jo- Quincy Jones did the score for this, and that song at the end, I just loved it. It was just so upbeat <laughs> and so fantastic. Yeah, that uh, what was the chorus? It had a, it was also very strange. Like, it was, but it was also very like British. Oh, the self preservation society. Yeah, okay, we first are all, the self preservation society. That was written by. I saw Quincy Jones credit it with the uh, music. Did yeah. he write that song too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was <laughs> that? What does that even mean? What are we they are the self-preservation society. <laughs> it's just like so off the wall. It's great. Uh, yeah, I, I watched it on a whim and I'm so happy I did. All right, you've got to tie these together. Well, we first talked about force majeure, um, which centers around some marital strife. And so I think that's a good transition into the War of the Roses, where marital strife is the main theme. Marital strife is an understatement starts with the little things and that phony laugh <laughs> okay. Okay. all right all right maybe overdid it let me have it if love is blind now i got you marriage is like having a stroke when i watch you eat when i look at you lately i just want to smash your face in smash my face All right. The War of the Roses is a 1989 movie directed by Danny DeVito, starring Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner as a married couple who, after 17 years together, decide that it's time to call it quits. And it doesn't really go very smoothly. And yeah, it's it gets pretty dark. Like, so why, why did you pick this movie? Oh, you know why? Because I'd watched Romancing the Stone. Remember I told you? Oh, right. Yeah. Romancing the Stone was on Hulu. And then I started thinking how much I really like Kathleen Turner. And I wanted to watch another Kathleen Turner movie. And then I remembered The War of the Roses. But in my mind, I remembered it as someone who had been like 12 the last time they'd seen it. So when I watched it, <laughs> watched it again, I'm like, dang, this movie is dark. When they well, say dark comedy, they're not kidding. You could have gone with The War of the Roses or Body. Or, or Peggy Sue Got Married. Peggy Sue got married. Or, well, the, or seri- Serial Mom. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember the name of that movie. I just remember she's in this movie where she's like a mom who like kills for her, for her kids and her husband. Uh, but the three of them have a, have a good chemistry. Danny DeVito, mm-hmm. Michael Douglas, and Kathleen Turner. And Danny was- DeVito, he directs some movies that kind of, he likes these sort of dark, darkly funny takes on like relationships. Because he did Throw Mama from the Train and uh, Matilda, which... My kids watched Matilda recently and the language that they used to talk to that girl, like Danny DeVito and uh, Rhea Perlman, when they were mm-hmm. like, when they have Matilda, I'm like, dang, that's like abusive. <laughs> well, he wanted to be realistic. He didn't want to tone things down for kids. No, I like, yeah. I think he's a really good director. And I thought this movie had some really imaginative and very energetic direction. Well, you know how we, we've talked about narration a few times. Mm-hmm. And at first, because the movie's framed... Okay, so Danny DeVito is Michael Douglas's friend. They're both attorneys. And at one point, Michael Douglas asks Danny DeVito to be his divorce attorney when he's trying to divorce Kathleen Turner. And the movie's framed through Danny DeVito's narration, narration where he tells the story of uh, Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner's marriage 
to a new prospective client who's also looking to get divorced. Right. So he tells him the story of Barbara and Oliver Rose, yeah. the War of the Roses. And at first, when like it becomes apparent that the guy he's telling the story to is going to have no lines at all in this every time they cut back to this. And Danny DeVito's just kind of lecturing him. He's like getting a little annoyed. But ultimately, I felt like it worked because there is a payoff at the end. It wasn't just like for the sake of like explaining the story to us. But again, spoiler alert, it ends with like kind of a moral. It's almost like one of those fables that has a moral at the end. Mm-hmm. He's like, either if you're going to get divorced, make sure to go above and beyond in making your wife happy in the divorce or do your darnest to like keep the marriage together. And so I, it worked for me because it was like this really long setup and it had a payoff. So I... I will accept this narration. I was kind of annoyed by it as well. And I thought part of me wanted him to just address us, break the fourth wall and just tell it to us if we were the people in the office. Yeah, I think that actually could have worked too. get rid of the guy and he's telling us and we're the prospective client. Right. And I Um, think that for me, that's all I kept thinking. I'm like, well, I wish he would just address this to us because this guy's not speaking anyway and we're not going to be talking. So he could just turn, turn his focus to us and stare at us through the camera. But I, I, didn't mind, I didn't mind it either because it is a fairy tale like or a fable, as you said. He's setting up a, a, a moral story. His office even has sort of fairy tale sort of fantasy quality because it's, it's a little like outside the window. It looks it's almost like, like a, a snow backdrop. globe. It, yeah, yeah, thank you. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's almost like a snow globe. But also we get the story of Barbara and Oliver and they have a, a meet cute moment in like picturesque Nantucket at an antique fair. And that whole scene and then up through there they move into the house that they're going to be fighting over later all of that sort of has a fairy tale quality to it the way it's filmed it looks like it's a set but they're like really cute and charming when they're in the apartment and they go for that walk in the snow where she gives mm-hmm. him the, the morgan the car is that supposed to be a little village is that no, what you're it's talking an, about it's no i think it's it's uh cambridge it's supposed to be cambridge massachusetts because he's he's uh just out of harvard right yeah, yeah when i was watching that scene i'm like <laughs> i just yelled out loud this is definitely not a movie set <laughs> I mean, it, it looked like obviously very, very fake, but like you said, it was, uh, it, I think it added to the atmosphere of like this weird little fable snow globe situation. But it also made their love story seem even more sort of like uh, um, a fantasy, the part where they're in love, almost like a fantasy, not real. Almost like maybe how you remember the, the love story, but not how it actually happened. Because we have to keep in mind that Danny DeVito's telling us this. Right. So it's a little uh, rom- probably romanticized. Until it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the other reason the narration works is because it um, it changes the guy doing the narration and the, that person isn't the main character. So Danny DeVito starts off as kind of this cad and who's like, doesn't really care about anything, just trying to get laid, trying to make money as a lawyer. But at the end, he's like, what happens with his two friends and clients like changes his outlook on life. Right. So it worked there as well. I have to say, have you, you haven't read the book, have you? Because it's based on a book. No, but now I'm very intrigued by it. I feel like the script kind of failed. And I, I haven't read the book, so I can't comment on the source material. But for me, the most interesting part of the movie was like that last third act where he shutters the windows, he turns off the, off the light, and it's a battle. I'm like, I want to see that. A lot of the stuff up to that, it just, I don't know, it didn't really resonate with me. And even the direction and the cinematography of it got so much more interesting with the shadows and the lighting and some of the Well, I think it went from sort of this romance to this sort of domestic drama to a gothic horror all in one movie. Yeah, and and I really like the gothic (laughs) horror. 
I yeah, but I think, but I think we have to set up. I mean, they have to get to that point. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think there's ways to get there quicker. I didn't mind the other stuff. I liked it. It. I think part of it was like I. I felt like they wanted to have their cake and eat it too because it wasn't clear to me. Like, okay, they kind of grew apart, but like I wasn't really buying it he was inattentive remember that scene at the dinner he has a when, before they move into the house and they have that dinner party and he won't let her tell the story yeah i mean they have like little things yeah here but and have there. you ever been in a relationship like that where you're kind of belittled and that sort of little things like that go on and on and on and on for 17 years yeah you're gonna want to punch somebody in the face i've never been in a relationship like that that lasted 17 years but i've been in a relationship like that and i got her a hundred percent okay i mean i'm not i'm not gonna disagree with you yeah to me it just felt like she escalated real i mean she escalated over 17 years but then like she tried to break his back with her legs she didn't go see him in the hospital i mean he and he still loved her yeah i'm not taking it aside i'm just saying i just think when you hate someone you realize you hate someone i think it could be just like that and then you're like wow i really don't like this mf'er at all and if he died i'd be fine with it and i think that's where she was i think people i think women can relate and the other thing i liked about that the gothic horror part is then they they went more into like the fact that he still loved her but she was over him so every time he tried to show some kind of show his love for her or whatever like touch or whatever she would just recoil and so i liked that tension a lot i was more interested in that than like how they they came to be okay that's fair i liked it all i thought it moved with a nice clip and the pacing was nice i never was thought i was bored or looked at my watch I'm like when is this going to be over i liked it i liked it all and that ending is cold-blooded <laughs> well i mean it is it really is like a moral because they neither one would back down so both of them not even up. that i'm not even talking about that part so at the end they go through this whole battle literal battle of the sexes and they end up swinging from this glorious chandelier above their terrazzo floor but the thing is barbara's loosened the bolts in the chandelier so as they're hanging there arguing kind of a little bit coming to terms with with what's happened the chandelier falls to the ground leaving them both like broken, their bodies broken on the floor. And Oliver reaches out to put his hand on Barbara's shoulder. And as they're both dying, Barbara knocks his hand off her shoulder. She's not even having it in her last moment of life. Yeah, I mean, well, Danny DeVito talks about like the two core problems that everyone faces. It's trying to get someone who to leave who doesn't want to leave or trying to hold on to someone who wants to leave. And so, I, like, that that played out a lot in that third act. Yeah. Like I said. I like so this is not, another non-traditional Christmas movie. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, they have a few Christmas scenes, I suppose. I, I was also wondering, so, she, like, he accidentally kills her, runs over her cat, and then she claims to have killed his dog and served the dog to him at, in the form of pate, but then it turns out she didn't. Yeah, but she never told him she didn't. Yeah, I don't, like, why didn't she just kill the dog? She's I mean, not I feel that like, mean. Uh, I don't. Uh, I feel like that'd be a lot of work to take the dog and make the dog over at the pate. There's a lot. There's a lot of steps involved with that. Yeah. And what's the deal with the housekeeper? Was she supposed to be German? I don't know. I liked her because she was the only person that I was sympathetic to. She was rational. 
She's the only rational person in that house. <laughs> but once the housekeeper leaves, she like resigns or the kids leave for college and the housekeeper leaves, you know that there's no good's going to come because they're yeah. trapped in that house together. I mean, honestly, like I, I'm like reimagining this movie where you can build like the tension where you could see bad shit's going to happen if all these characters leave the house and you're like, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. You build that tension and then finally they leave. You're like, oh, no. Oh, no, bad things are going to happen. Maybe maybe it'll be remade one day to my vision. But going back to him, like, remember he didn't read her contract? She had the contract and she gave it to him a week ago and he didn't read it. There's just a general lack of care and interest that he had for his wife for, I'm guessing, many years. And she was tired of it. It was always him and his career that came first. Yeah, I mean, in, in, that, in that aspect, I definitely agree with you. And when they broke the figurines, I was like, I love that. Those figurines he cherished oh, so God. much. I hated, Staffordshire. I hated the decor in that house that they were fighting over. I'm like, you can both have it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was 80s grand. Right. Yuppie grand. What did you, uh, did you like this or Romancing the Stone more? I like this more just because it's so vicious. <laughs> but I did, I, I still like Romancing the Stone. That's just a fun movie. And I think, uh, I think as a script for me, the Romancing the Stone works better. I think it's tighter. Yeah, this movie's good. I'd say I'd say it's a streamer. I don't know if I'd rent it. I think Romancing the Stone is definitely a renter, but this I'd say is a streamer. Solid streamer. Yeah. Okay, I can get down with that. Solid streamer. All right. Shall we move on? Let's move on to another couple in crisis. <laughs> So, the movie I picked is called French Twist in English. In French, it's called Gazon Mode. Do you know what that means? Like, what is the literal translation? I think it means like uh, shaved, shaved hair, okay. shaved, shaved lawn, cut lawn. It's probably some sort of French idiom. Yeah. All right. So French Twist is a 1995 movie by Josiane Velasco, and it stars Victoria Abril, Josiane Velasco, and Alain Chabat. I don't know if I pronounced any of those correctly. And the movie is about a philandering husband and an unhappy wife who, through random circumstance, meets this uh, lesbian woman and falls in love with her. They fall in love with each other. And uh, she ends up moving in with the husband and the wife, and they have to navigate that situation. I think this movie is a great example of how one person can't be everything to everybody. Yeah. It's like um, one of my favorite scenes is when he goes, he ends up in this room with a, an older aged prostitute. And uh, she ends up bequeathing some wisdom on him and tells him that, you know, there's only one, one true love for, for all of us in our lives. And it's not always perfect, but you gotta, you gotta do whatever it takes to keep that love because that's, that's the only one. And I don't know if I agree with that, but I think the idea that uh, sometimes you gotta make compromises and sometimes things aren't perfect, but sometimes they're worth it anyway. Yeah, but I gotta say Laurent, the husband here, Oh, I hated him. I wanted to punch him in his <laughs> smug, misogynistic, homophobic pig face. I just could not stand him at all. And it I just could not get down with Lolly, Lowly getting back together with him or anything. Because he's just so, ugh, couldn't stand him. Yeah. I mean, I think you accurately described it there. But like the War of the Roses, there's, there's a backstory here. 
and it seems like they, it was very romantic how they met. I think they met, met in Spain because his wife is Spanish. She was a, a dancer in Spain. And there, it seemed like at some point there was like real intense passion. Yeah. And, and then he, once they were married, he ended up sleeping with every, every slut in town. I mean, he, yeah, and that is not an understatement. <laughs> Even the babysitter. Oh, yeah, and, who might have been underage. Yeah, they go out for the night and they come back and he's got to pay the babysitter. And she's like, well, I see you later. And like, oh, my gosh, this guy's really, he's on everything. But I got, so I looked up what Ebert, I went to see what Ebert said. Oh, I he did gave, too. I did he too. gave it, he gave it two stars. Yeah, he um, didn't like it. He thought the entire concept was dumb. And I was on board with the whole movie. I was, in, I enjoyed it. I thought the first maybe hour and 20 minutes, I was having a great time, even though I hated Laurent until that last bit with the baby, because I just, it just seems so silly at the end. So contrived. Well, so I, the, the thrust, I think, of Ebert's critique was he couldn't believe that any of any of the people in the love triangle would actually be in a relation, right? He had a problem with that. Well, yeah, and he also couldn't believe that the situations would occur the way would, would occur at all. So is it including the fact that Laurent impregnates Mary Jo, or is it ever, everything after he impregnates her? No, that there's a phone call. So Mary Jo is a lesbian. Loli is the wife and Laurent is the husband. Mm -hmm. There's an awkward dinner, much like force majeure. There's an awkward <laughs> dinner where uh, Mary Jo's ex-girlfriend is there with another friend and Loli's getting all jealous and angry, which I'll go back to that later because I have questions about that. And then she storms off and she's upset. She calls and then Laurent's like, she doesn't want to see you anymore. You're going to have to leave. Mary Jo's like, I'll leave forever, but you need to give me a baby. Everything after that phone call, I was done with it. I, don't, <laughs> I kind of like the baby making part. <laughs> I just couldn't. It was just too silly for me at that point. I mean, I, I, I'll accept that. I think, the, I mean, the movie overall is very silly. And I think like all these characters at one point or another are kind of like fickle and into themselves. So is that what you're going to say about the jealousy? How it seems like it's, it's, it's out of character for her? Yes, very much so. Cause it was, she became extremely jealous to the point of just being rude to other people. And I don't, didn't see her being that way. Well, she seems so passionate about Mary Jo at this point. It was a new relationship. I think it was, uh, she felt threatened. Like she but found I, this but thing. But she also like, seemed, she also seemed like the kind of person who would be self-aware like she's also banging her husband and her lesbian lover and they've got a schedule. She can bang Mary Jo Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then bang Laurent Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they have a day off for rest, but she's sneaking behind Mary Jo's back and Mary Jo's aware of it and banging Laurent like on days that are not his banging days. So she should be more sympathetic to yeah. the situation. I think that she would be more self-aware to be like, oh, well, I'm kind of doing something that's not that great. And she's just saying hi to an ex-lover and she's not doing anything. There's no reason for her to behave in that manner. Well, neither Lauren nor Loli seem very self-aware. I mean, for one, she, at least she was a virgin when they met. So that tells me they got together when they were both pretty young and they've been married for however many years. They're still fairly young. So I think there's some arrested development in that relationship. And so, and then he's sleeping with everyone in town and she's unaware of this. I mean, I think they're, they're not like the most mature people. All right. I can buy that. 
And uh, I think this, she probably found the solution to her problem was like, oh, I'll get both of these. So then when there was some sort of threat to the system, I think she overreacted. But I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I could see your interpretation. I think it boils down to like how, like how much you're willing to, how much benefit sort of you're willing to give this goofy story. Yeah, I was giving, I was on board with it. Like I said, until the baby told Mary Jo's like, give me a baby and I'll go away. One, yeah. <laughs> you're not guaranteed to make a baby right then and there. So they're all like kind Especially of Especially with a 40 year old. Yeah. So hello, biology class. Two, really? This is where this plot is going? I but I, like I think it. as a resolution to the overall story, I think it actually, I mean, it worked. I think it could have gone a lot of different ways where the triangle, two of the people somehow ended up together. But I felt it was like a... I don't know. There's a tight little uh, resolution that tied up all the loose ends, so to speak. I mean, I guess I think if you want a better threesome movie, even though I'm really not a Woody Allen fan, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. (sighs) That had its moments, but I wasn't a huge fan of that. I don't know if there's ever been a a good threesome movie besides this one. Well, the, but there's this little French movie called Jules et Jim, Jules and Jim. But I can't remember if they're outright threesome or if they keep fighting over the same girl because I haven't seen in a really long time. I mean, inherently, the triangle, the pyramid being one of the most stable geometric forms. <laughs> I think in human relations, it's probably one of the more un- unstable forms. So when you're writing a story that involves a love triangle, regardless of the genders involved, you're going to have to pick who ends up with who at the end. Well, why can't they all just be together and happy? Because people are complicated. And but I jerks. think, well, I think people need to give up their ego because they could have been in a happy situation where they just were all together. But that's, that's, like true, a hip, but that's like a hippie commune, though, type thing. There's, I mean, there's a lot of baggage. I mean, only people who really have let go of their ego can do stuff like that. Yeah, and but it's not as funny when they. No, do. it's not. So, that is true. If you hold on to your ego, it's funnier. And then, oh, I just remembered what was up with that ending, ending, where he goes to buy a house from this. Oh, the hot Spaniard. The hot gay <laughs> Spaniard, and they're like trying to indicate that maybe he's gonna go gay a little bit here, like that. That felt a little out of left field. Yeah, because there's no indication at all in his character at all that that would even be a possibility. Yeah, I th- I think I, there's some parts of this movie that feel a little dated, and I'd say that's one of them. And his like again, this is France, 1995, so I don't know what that was like, but he's like so anti-lesbian. I don't know. He's also like anti-woman. He's yeah, kind of he, a little. He's a woman hater. I wonder if uh, it's because they live so close to Spain. So one one thing I loved about this movie is usually you watch French movies; they take place in Paris, like most of the time, right? <laughs> Or like some or like, major city. Or like in the countryside. Or somewhere. in the countryside. This I didn't look it up, but I assume it's like that border by Spain, right? Because it's yeah, like, he's a he's a real estate agent. Yeah, and the the look of the land is very different than any other parts of France. Yeah. So I did like that they, they the movie took place in this other part of the country that I and see. the soundtrack was amazing. I loved it. I loved all the Spanish music. Was that? Did you look up the soundtrack? Was that the Gypsy Kings? Because it felt it sounded no, like it was I looked it French up, it, flamenco or something. It was uh, um, I can't remember. It was a combination of different artists. So at least a streamer. Yeah, definitely a streamer because it is entertaining and it's I mean it's different. It's a European sex comedy. Yeah, it doesn't get better than that, does it? Yeah, those are always <laughs> the best. And uh, 
it's a comedy of manners. Right. <laughs> and, and they do those so well. And I feel like the U.S. doesn't do that as well. No, because we take sex too seriously or we make it like too juvenile. We get, we can't do right. a middle ground where, oh, well, no, Bob, Carol, Ted. Harris. I was going to say there's a movie we love <laughs> that I, I think found that middle ground when it was able Bob, to go Carol, deep. Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice is probably <laughs> the closest America American cinema has gotten to a sophisticated yeah. sex comedy. And for the six people listening to this, take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm Jake. And I'm Sydney. And join us next time where we talk about In the Company of Wolves and the Brotherhood of the Wolf. This has been Two for the Matinee. Don't get caught in a French twist. <laughs> okay, that works. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>